0: Log Talk Radio.
1: Greetings, this is Abayomi Ezekawe and welcome back to another edition of the Pan-African Journal. The Pan-African Journal is an audio news magazine, It's brought to you here on a weekly basis. Uh, I am your host, uh, Abayomi Ezekawe. Today is Saturday, September 24th, uh, 2022. We're broadcasting live from our studios in downtown Detroit. We want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in to our program. For this week, later on, uh, we'll be bringing you our Pan African News Wire report. We'll have dispatches on the speech delivered uh, by the Chadian Foreign Minister to the United Nations General Assembly 77th session in New York City, uh, where she called for a permanent seat for the African Union member states on the Security Council. Mali's uh, Prime Minister, in his address, condemned France and called for a new world security and economic order. The memoirs of one of the early figures in the Kenyan independence movement have been recently released, and the East African state of Uganda has enhanced monitoring on its borders in light of an outbreak of Ebola virus disease. In the second and third hours, we listen to the speeches of several leaders at the United Nations General Assembly, which is being held this week in New York City. Uh, We'll listen to addresses uh, by Mali, Barbados. South Africa and Kenya. These and other features uh, will be brought to you uh, during the course of our program. Stay tuned. We'll take our musical interlude with Yulu Mbiala uh, from the album entitled Les Prince. Let's listen in.
2: bete la na I'm going to change my mind, I'm going to change my mind, I'm going to qui est pas bon c'est mon ma on cher la carie et on mon Como que na viva O Ame mi na piki niki na la national. Dakomi na chitalo kula kari ambience akubo. Millionero abuakimbongo na kachi kachie bale. Alobi la na sokio swika matai komiayo. A money a go chance ya la fi. Yeah yeah. I'm <laughs> Se, ata foto na seya ibale, akoma to Eh Na ona yo a kopina ngale lo mo ibutuna bato Nakundi mayote ho izali mabe abachukirwo Ko sengabongo na ilibosutu bomanga Akeneko defaela mabibosutse komanga Yelo cola yuta Na am going change my mind, I'm going to change my to sentiment à côté qui est le col à la vie va et l'eau quoi canard oh vinager au petit à sa canne à mémier la piquine qui n'est la nationale à commune ajouta le poulain carré ambiance millionnaire à bois qui m'envoie la cati cassia et balais à l'eau mon cher ce conseil la pas voté comme à talent à l'eau soit bon Harmonia go chance à la vie Ye yeah, yeah, yeah. mon chemin là ya mwana de A dalakaïla photo souvenir, Akoma koma koloto, bandot e la péa et Akoma konsa lela, monte la bon. Eh, 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 eh. Yokeyoma, na komi toutuna, bonaninibouli. Mokilie, Yo boli, na boko limo to, a Ako can mo I i i go to the pepe a et doum pese nan batolo la eh 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 sa koni kòchale moso moso nakavi moso mamune yeah. basu souvenir ya bolingo eleki kimoto ya bolingo anyao hukandenge tozala kakorobana hukoboya nga eh, naku yu koboya yote shiri, Kutuna naku zalawa yu alibela, atapa famina ngaba lovi, etali kutu atangate, oyevi alingi yoto, Yopelo pe yu alibela po, naku miko kamwa yu kolonyo siku amokeo Na kaboana, o kafabloko na lembe, na na baye, na baye ngono, elokoni ni mbuli. Na lokani yo 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 yo, na sheri se
3: quita
2: que lo vamos la compagnie à la et la n'a si na yo Papa, I'm a baby, 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 i am a baby 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 i am a when I start livingixTONожive 성함 If you give so much pride When I to yo lendo mas la vinanga ye nanobio kanio kabu tu no tive cherie cherian kabal tambima mama bolingo na Eludinaya es que to to mama Born on
3: Yeah, yeah. I'm
2: I'm mama, 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 mama. BECunder the inertia and strength Let theTP plum get the water Never get the na Left is 1900 And I am afraid to shake the water na by itingara motala, kanaputa kolula mibali nandela Lele Nei tijona zwa kanandela ya zandu, namisa mbali nako mibaba Tongwe kota nangasena baka nju, nakana pena pochanga seba pra moka Na mileli yeye, pasi ya muto temwase motema yomoko Oh, manezali, no kolali kele maon No kolomangai, papa Ululali no, balomusika Yeba mpasha moninga Nambe sa lopita mo, 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 Mama, 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 mama. Yeah, ye. na no, kasyoyo Ezali nangai Gambo ya motema Nakomi malote Nambe takase tangwaon I'm a ma Je suis encore jeune, sans pas te l'épouver, 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 sans Maman, maman, maman Mama. La ton bouton koutoua qui bakane ba go Maman, maman Ovanana si toi bakana Maman, maman Réponse na mon no Je suis encore chaude Kwa kwa delé mouwe Maman, maman La vie le na a la e Oh, 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 on oh, oh, oh,
3: oh, 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 La oh, 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 oh,
2: oh, la oh, est la vie la la c'est c'est à ma la logique attendu l'oukézo amour maté sa volo à la fois kwa simba mi à mon balioio à yao au point sens du à ou Tenemos mo panini na yo canzone ste sopammo mai lalilelino mo te mai you know na lalilelino mo balie ripiso lalilelino mo te mo na na lalimo balie coso li di la canzone na lalimo balie o gindi C'est vrai, c'est vrai, c'est vrai, c'est vrai, leli mo I'm you
1: listening to uh, the Pan-African Journal, worldwide uh, radio broadcast. I am your host, uh, Abayomi Azikawe, and uh, today is Saturday, September the 24th, uh, 2022. Uh, We're broadcasting live from our studios in downtown Detroit. Right now, we want to move into our Pan-African Newswire segment of our program. These are some of the headlines in today's Pan-African Newswire. Uh, Chad is is asking for Africa to be allowed to join the United Nations Security Council as a permanent member. That's according uh, to a report uh, about the United Nations uh, General Assembly's 77th session uh, yesterday's uh, proceedings. Chad's Secretary of State for Foreign Affairs, uh, Awatif L. Jani Ahmed Kiyoboro, said it would uh, correct an historic injustice to help countries in the g 5 Sahel. She said, uh, quote, on the reform of the Security Council, the body responsible for peace and international security, Chad, once again urges member states to move from rhetoric to action in order uh, to uh, uh, achieve the said reform and correct the historic injustice towards the African continent, which excludes it uh, from full and equal participation in this body. And uh, in regard to the situation uh, in Mali, uh, there's been demonstrations against the United Nations peacekeeping forces in that West African state. The protesters waved Malian flags and chanted uh, anti-UN slogans. Others carried Russian flags as they marched through the streets of the capital of Bamako. Mali's army government uh, has had a foster relationship with the UN mission, also known as Ni Nusma, uh, culminating in July in the detention of Ivorian soldiers after branding them mercenaries quote, Manusma uh, has done nothing here. We want them to leave. We are here to show the international community that we no longer want Manusma. We don't care about Manusma. Uh, we love our country. We want our soldiers, led by Colonel Lassimi Gueta. Uh, that's according to Lacina Dumbia, uh, who was also involved in the demonstration. They can go back to their homes and stay there. We don't need their help anymore. Lassimi Gueta is enough for us. The Malian youth is enough for us, and that's according to Samba M. Wangar. The protesters accused the mission of undermining Mali's sovereignty. And we'll have uh, the address to the United Nations uh, General Assembly uh, related to uh, the Malian Prime Minister who delivered that address. And, of course, uh, all you have to do is continue to listen here at the Pan-African Journal. And you're listening to the Pan-African Newswire segment of the Pan-African Journal. And other news, in the East African state of Kenya, uh, in a book uh, that has been released uh, posthumously by the son of Robert Omamo, it opens up uh, on his much-talked-about relationship with Jeromoji Oginga Odinga, uh, untold stories of the Jomo Kenyatta and more government political intrigue, as well as his own well-known oratory during his public life and the origin of his popular nickname, Kalish My last 10 months at Egerton College saw dramatic political changes taking place in the country and their ripples impinging on us. I began to feel that my contribution to nation building as a principal of Egerton had been tangible and very satisfying. Towards the end of 1968, therefore, I did not see any totally new line of development that I could initiate at Egerton College which would not rub the wrong way the financial controllers at the ministry headquarters. No one was interested in developing Egerton College beyond a diploma training institution. So as 1968 was wearing out, I had a chilly feeling that it was about time I looked farther afield and did something else in the vast landscape of nation building. And you can read these articles in their entirety at the Pan-African Newswire website. And uh, finally, uh, in uh, the nation of uh, Uganda, residents of Busia County were yesterday crossing into neighboring Uganda, uh, this is from uh, Kenya to Uganda, without being screened for Ebola, sparking fears of the virus spreading across the border. A spot check indicated that traders were crossing the border with no screening taking place except for truck drivers and individuals seeking clearance from the immigration offices before crossing into Uganda. There was a flurry of activity at the border uh, with people crossing from either side without going through screening or checks uh, by security officials. This was happening despite assurances uh, from the health officials from Busia County that adequate measures had been put in place to ensure the containment of the spread of the Ebola virus disease in East Africa. And uh, with that, uh, we're going to conclude uh, the Pan-African Newswire segment of the Pan-African Journal. In concluding this segment of our program, we want to remind our listeners that the Pan-African Newswire is an international electronic press service that is designed to foster intelligent discussions on the affairs of African people throughout the continent and the world. The press agency uh, was founded in January of 1998, and since then, It has published tens of thousands of articles and dispatches in numerous newspapers, magazines, journals, research reports, and on blogs and websites throughout the world. The Pan-African Newswire represents the only daily international news source on Pan-African and global affairs. If you'd like to log on to the Pan-African Newswire, just go to our website at panafricannews.blogspot.com. That's panafricannews.blogspot.com. And uh, if you'd like to uh, have access to today's Pan-African Journal, Worldwide uh, Radio Broadcast, all you need to do is go uh, to our website, and uh, that is at uh, the Pan-African Radio Network, blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. Just log on to blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal, and you can have access to today's program, as well as more than 1,100 other archived editions of the Pan-African Journal. We'll take a break. We'll be back uh, with uh, the United Nations General Assembly 77th Session speeches uh, from several uh, heads of state uh, from uh, various parts of the geopolitical world.
2: Keep it up, I'm gonna go through the floor That's what's gonna
1: of uh, Howard Tate uh, with the track entitled Stop. And you're listening to uh, the Pan-African Journal, or worldwide radio broadcast. And uh, as we mentioned earlier, the United Nations General Assembly 77th session is taking place right now in New York City. We're going to bring you an address uh, right now uh, from the Malian interim prime minister, uh, Abdullahi Maiga. Uh, he's going to be speaking uh, to the United Nations General Assembly. Let's listen in.
4: The Assembly will hear an address by His Excellency Abdoulaye Maiga, Prime Minister ad interim of the Republic of Mali. I request protocol to escort His Excellency. I have great pleasure in welcoming His Excellency. Abdoulaye Maiga, Prime Minister ad interim of the Republic of Mali. I invite him to address the Assembly.
1: Monsieur le Président,
0: President of the General Assembly, ladies and gentlemen, heads of state and government, Secretary General of the United Nations, ladies and gentlemen, at the outset, it is my pleasure to warmly greet you on behalf of the Malian people in all their cultural, religious, and ethnic diversity. And the greetings of His Excellency, Colonel Asimi Goita, Transitional President and Head of State. President, your brilliant election to the presidency of the 77th session of the General Assembly and the end of the 76th session of the General Assembly so ably led by your predecessor, His Excellency Abdullah Shahid of the Republic of Maldives It gives me an excellent opportunity to express our warm congratulations to your excellencies on behalf of Mali. Allow me to reiterate to our Secretary General, Mr. Antonio Guterres, our great appreciation of his laudable efforts deployed to achieve the noble goals of our organization. We know that you are a friend of Mali and of the Sahel. Friendship is based upon sincerity. So allow me to express my deep disagreement with your recent media appearances where you adopt stances and speak out regarding the affair of the 46 Ivorian mercenaries, which is a bilateral and legal issue between two brotherly countries. Clearly, the judicial nature of the infringements around this affair do not fall under the competences of the Secretary General of the United Nations. In Mali, our administration does not is not based upon oral statements or statements to the press. We therefore refer to the note verbal of Minusma, the United Nations Mission for the Stabilization of Mali. The reference of this document is Minusma slat prot slant slash NV slash 6 slash 2022 of the 27th of July, 2022, which clearly expresses that there is no link between the 46 mercenaries and the United Nations. The recent language and synchronization which intend to portray Mali as a victim, as, as um, guilty rather than being a victim in this affair of mercenaries, are without effect. Secretary General, your position on the mercenaries has been followed up by certain authorities in West Africa, so we address them this message. To the President of ECO was Mr. Omar Sissoko, who said, we have just seen, and I quote, the statement by the Secretary General saying that these are not mercenaries. If I were in the Malian's place, I would have released these 49 soldiers. I should very much like to say to the latter that there is a principle of subsidiarity, which is somewhat vague between ECOWAS and the United Nations, rather than a principle of following blindly. It is also important to state that the Secretary General of the United Nations is not a head of state and the, president, the acting president of ECOWAS is not a civil servant; therefore, he must not make the out too overarching. It's worth recalling to the current president of ECOWAS that he must respect the independence of justice. We therefore cannot; therefore, we do not intend to give way on this. This is a legal issue. Mr. Omaru Sisoko Mbala must be aware of the fact that he is responsible for, a great, um, for being loyal to a great deal of heritage and sacrifices under this organization. The dynamics which have made the Ica was so renowned must not be broken down. We have also noted the threats of sanctions against Mali. And rather than being afraid of such sanctions, I should like to say that to the, president, to the president of the ECOWAS that at the end of his mandate, the West African people will judge him on the efforts that he has made to improve the living conditions of our people rather than mediatic circuses for foreign agendas. To Mr. Bazoum, he will note that the transitional government has not yet reacted to his slanderous comments for two reasons. The first is to do with the heritage of our ancestors, where we do not respond to insults by other insults. The second reason is to do with Mr. Bazoum's identity. He is a foreigner who claims to be from Niger. We know that the Nigerian people and brotherly country of Mali have social, cultural, and religious values, which are extremely rich. Mr. Bazoum is not a Nigerian. behavior reaffirms us in this belief. Secretary General, Mali will remember what you have said. Before God, our soul and our conscience, we ask those who are refuting our version to ask if they would accept that military troops, having hidden their identities by saying on their identities, that, on their passports, that they were painters or builders, would arrive with weapons in their airport without the country of destination having been informed in advance with the idea of destabilizing the country. Would they accept this? If they would not accept this as a state, if this is not possible in Lisbon or elsewhere, Mali will also not accept this as a state. And it will not be possible in Bamako or anywhere else in Mali president. A watershed moment, transformative solutions to interlocking challenges. That is the theme of this 77th uh, 77th session of the General Assembly. And this allows us to hope for better days for Mali, as long as there is a clear stocktaking taking of the former, former era. That. Lessons are learnt and objective recommendations are established. Once this has happened, I am sure that through our collective action, we will bring peace regarding the various outbreaks of tension in the world, but also promote harmonious development and effectively combat pandemics, the deterioration of the environment, climate crises, inequalities, policies of domination and predation of resources. Since August 2020, Mali has been going through a transitional process which will end on the 26th of March 2024 with the transfer of power to elected authorities. By this date and in line with the recommendations of the National Dialogue on restructuring, the transitional authorities have committed to two timelines agreed upon with ECOWAS to carry out political and institutional reforms before organizing elections, whose ultimate goal is to recast the Malian state so that it meets the deep, legitimate aspirations of our people to peace, security, good governance, development, and lasting institutional stability in Mali. In this regard, I am pleased to underline that some significant progress has already been made the passing of the electoral law in Terrelia. This includes the creation of an independent election management authority, and its establishment is now making great progress with the setting up of a commission made up of renowned figures from all components of Malian society in charge of drawing up a new constitution. President, on another front, not many people may know that Mali is the only country in the world which is currently facing four different types of insecurity simultaneously. Terrorism, community, communal conflict, manipulated by terrorists and their state, foreign state sponsors, cross-border organized crime, and violent action by isolated individuals. Alongside our return to constitutional order, Mali is continuing to fight tirelessly against this insecurity and particularly against extremist groups who are responsible for all kinds of abuse against our peaceful people. With regard to Mali, I am pleased and proud to announce that the terrorist groups have been seriously weakened and the fear is now on the other side, on their side. However, these criminal groups can still cause harm to a certain extent in their desperate attempts to deal a blow to our territorial integrity, and to terrorize our people. The courageous Malian defense and security forces are determined to to tackle any threats, wherever they come from. His Excellency Colonel Amissimi Goita, transitional president and head of state, and the government of Mali is continuing to step up their significant efforts to recruit, train, equip, and bolster the operational capacities of the Malian, defense and security forces. I must say here that the offensive action carried out thus far has allowed our forces to claim decisive victory against obscurantism. They have allowed the state to get back on equal footing and reaffirm its authority over much of our national territory as well as allowing for the return of several thousands of our people to their homes. However, we know that a Military and security solution alone has its limits, which is why, in support of the military action, the government of Mali has a global integrated strategy, including political, social, and development measures, which includes the provision of basic social services to our people who are so thoroughly tested by the multifaceted crisis that we have been facing since January 2012. Their aim is to restore the state's authority throughout our national territory. Against this backdrop, the government of Mali on the 24th of August approved our national stabilization strategy for the central regions and an action plan for 2022 to 2024. This translates the desire of our transitional authorities to take a holistic approach to the stabilization of the center of the country. This aims to transform the center into a stable, prosperous area where our communities are reconciled and live peacefully with one another. We are intelligently and diligently implementing our Agreement for Peace and Reconciliation which is a result of the Algiers process and this is a a, a strategic priority for the transitional authorities as a peaceful crisis resolution instrument in the north of Mali. I'm particularly pleased to say that we have con- concluded the second meeting at a decision-making level for, between the parties to this agreement, and this was held in Bamako between the first, first and fifth of August, and ha- allowed a number of signatory parties and international mediation to lift.
1: the dynamic progressive the
0: peace process and the implementation of the agreement. Following this, we held the sixth meeting of the monitoring committee in Bamako which, uh, on the 2nd of September, and this was a, signal, a strong signal of the desire by the parties to commit to a dynamic new process in order to achieve the implementation of the agreement. I wish to reaffirm our attachment to this process, whose success is one of the sine qua non conditions for st- lasting stability in Mali. This is an opportunity for me once again to welcome the active role of Algeria and the support from the international mediation team. I must not leave aside the situation of Malian refugees in neighborly countries. I thank those countries for their hospitality. And I am remembering the internally displaced compatriots. I wish to reassure them that the government of Mali is very attentive to their difficult situation. All our efforts aimed to create conditions allowing them to return with security and dignity so that they can effectively participate in the life of the nation. President, in this difficult struggle for peace, stability and lasting development, the Malian people recognize the efforts made by MINUSMA since its creation in July 2030 until today. So as to help Mali to restore authority throughout its territory. It is why I wish to pay tribute on behalf of the people and government of Mali to the memory of all the victims, both Malian and foreign, civilian and military, who have given their lives in Mali. Having said that, after 10 years, almost 10 years after its establishment, the objectives for which MINUSMA was deployed in Mali have not been achieved despite numerous resolutions by the Security Council. This is why the Government of Mali reiterates its demand, expressed on numerous occasions, for a paradigm shift, an adaptation of MINUSMA to the environment in which it is deployed, and a better interlinking between this mission and the Malian authorities. In this regard, it is very important for MINUSMA to remain a support force in Mali as it seeks stability. The Government of Mali denounces negative outside influences, and attempts to instrumentalize certain legally present entities in Mali to serve hidden agendas, including by exploiting the question of human rights in order to destabilize. President, the world will remember that after having been abandoned mid-flight on the 10th of June 2021 by France, which unilaterally decided to withdraw its Barkhane force from Mali, my country was then stabbed in the back by the French authorities. It is extremely important to say that we refuse any amalgam with the French people whom we respect. The deeply anti-French authorities have denied the universal moral values and repudiated these and betrayed the humanistic legacy of their philosophers, and they, have now, they are now serving an obscurant hunter. So deeply anti-French French forces have rejected universal moral values and betrayed the great humanist and philosophical heritage. They have now become an obscurantist hunter. Uh, let me repeat this once again. The anti-French, French authorities have rejected universal moral values and betrayed the great heritage of their philosophers and have become a hunter serving obscurantism, an obscurant French hunter who is nostalgic for neo-colonialist, condescending, paternalistic, and vengeful practices, which which has carried out unprecedented illegal, illegitimate sanctions by the ECOWAS and UMOA against Mali. After 10 years of insecurity leading to thousands of deaths, refugees and internally displaced, is it not now a sacrilege for a Malian population who's a victim of insecurity and has been um, under embargo for seven months by closing borders and seizing bank accounts in Mali, thanks to its resilience and the solidarity of friendly countries, and the African people. The Malian people is now foiling their plans. The French hunter and its obscurantism is guilty of instrumentalizing ethnical differences by forgetting its responsibility for the genocide against the Tutsis in Rwanda. It was also guilty of desperate attempts to divide Malian children from the same families. Finally, an obscurantist French hunter, which has violated Malian airspace by sending aircraft such as drones, military helicopters, and fighter planes over 50 times, bringing information, weapons, and ammunition to terrorist
4: groups. In order to ease its conscience, the French hunter accuses Mali of not having been grateful, banging on about the regrettable death of 59 French soldiers in Mali during various counter-terrorism operations. Regarding this unfortunate accusation, we'd like to remind you that in most Malian official statements and in ceremonies, we systematically pay tribute to all victims of insecurity in Mali, with no distinction based on nationality, including therefore those 59 French people who died. Thus, we would urge them not to stop since they're going along the right lines. They should turn back the clock. Let's look at their intervention in Libya that's decried by all of Africa and let's not forget the false participation of thousands of Africans in the first and second world war. Let's not forget the slave trade which explains the economic um, well-being of the country. How many Africans died for France and the free world in which we live. So given the serious nature of the uh, facts committed by the French hunter, Mali in its letter dated the 15th of August, 2022, Uh, requested the holding of an emergency meeting of the UN Security Council. The aim of this is to enable Mali to present evidence that it has showing that the French army attacked on numerous occasions my country by violating repeatedly and frequently Mali's airspace without the authorization of the Malian authorities and sometimes by falsifying flight documents. More seriously, Mr. President, Mali will be able to prove that the French Hunter provided intelligence and arms to terrorist groups. The government of Mali is wondering about the reasons that have encouraged this permanent member of the Security Council and one that has the presidency of the body to prevent obstacles to the debate because of the truth the world needs to be enlightened on the serious facts that took place in Mali and which are at the basis of the worsening insecurity and destabilization in Mali. Through seizing the Security Council, the government of Mali is seeking to ensure that this important body that's in charge of The maintenance of international peace and security to ensure that it faces its responsibilities and denounces the abuse of the French Hunter against my country. These hostile acts are incompatible with the UN Charter and its statue um, as a permanent member. The credibility of our joint mechanism depends on it, as does the effectiveness of our fight against terrorism, but in particular, so does the integrity of the UN that inter ALIA is based on the respect of international commitment, international law of the UN Charter, Mr. President. It seems important for Mali to call for your personal involvement with, um, with the Security Council of the United Nations so that our request be successful, so that this duplicity and the proxy war imposed upon my country stops. Mr. President, in combating terrorism and violent extremism, the government of Mali takes very seriously the question of human rights. I'd like to underscore that human rights are first and foremost the values that each Malian embodies. Thus, the government of Mali remains determined to respect them and to ensure they are respected in line with its zero tolerance policy against impunity as it's loyal to its ancestral values that are enshrined in the Kurofangua Charter proclaimed in 12036 by the emperor of Mali, Sundi Keita. This is why we believe in this. Mali is a cradle of great civilizations. There were once great empires, a land of exchange, hospitality, and tolerance. Mali makes promoting and defending human rights a national priority. This is why I robustly Confirmed that the military operations of the Malian Defense and Security Forces are conducted strictly respecting human rights and international humanitarian law. Nonetheless, as I've underscored, the government of Mali is vehemently opposed to the instrumentalization of the question of human rights for political purposes, is opposed to posturing, blackmail, and intimidation. By the same token, we regret the selectivity observed vis-a-vis populations in some villages who are totally massacred and their villages raised to the ground and there doesn't seem to be any indignation regarding them and the media manipulation that goes on claiming that terrorists who have been neutralized in the battlefield are in fact innocent civilians. In conclusion, Mr. President, I'd like to say that the Malian people have decided to take their destiny into their own hands They fully support the government as it works in Mali and also support the return to constitutional order that will be peace and safe in March 2024 following the free, credible, and transparent elections to be held. Achieving these broad raising priorities mean that the government needs to continue and step up efforts to improve the security situation in the country to protect people and their property. To this end, I'm delighted that in Lome, on the 6th of September this year, the third meeting of the transition, a follow-up and support group was held the conclusions of this important meeting, in particular the recognition of the progress made by the transition and the calls for mobilizing all of Mali's partners to consolidate their political, economic, technical and financial support for the Republic of Mali and for the efforts of the Malian transition authorities uh, to ensure a uh, harmonious return to constitutional order were very important. I'd like to recall that the transition in Mali results uh, from several years of dysfunction in our young democracy. This did have some positive results. Unfortunately, as we look at it, there have been more setbacks than steps forward, and that's why we needed the transition, take this opportunity to warmly thank our respected elder, His Excellency President Alassane Dramani Ouattara, for his wise, clear counsel that he gave us in his memorable statement at this 77th session of the UN General Assembly. I would like to reassure him that the Malian transition authorities have no other aim but to carry out political institutional reform before organizing elections whilst obstinately combating terrorism. These reforms will help to improve governance, and all measures will be taken to ensure that Malian democracy be the most envied in the world. In this area, we pay particular attention to the third mandate, which will not be possible. The third mandate
1: le troisième mandat, le troisième...
4: The third mandate for a less uh, knowledgeable public means a, a four step manoeuvre for the President in order to uh, conserve power for him and his clan. Firstly, uh, at the end of the second mandate, uh, so in principle at a time when he's not re-electable, the outgoing president has a constitutional revision that is not consensus-based. is the second step. During this constitutional revision, the president of the republic or the outgoing president will modify some constitutional provisions. The third step, once the constitution is adopted, Of course, there's uh, naturally a political crisis. The outgoing president becomes candidate, which violates the limit of the uh, two-mandate period. So his candidacy is justified by the adoption of a new constitution, and any pretext is found. A limit of the number of terms or mandates is two and therefore he is a candidate under the new adopted constitution. The fourth step is an electoral farce is organized. Of course, he wins the elections, and he uh, chases out political opponents. Some are arrested, others are exiled, and others assassinated. Allegiances are obtained through the power of money, uh, clientelism, and intimidation. To put it more simply... And if I were to use a football mechanism, the third mandate or the third term in, term in office is is magic in a way. It's the art of dribbling uh, whilst keeping the ball to oneself. Excellent. Your Excellency, Mr. President Watara, your... Um, Uh, advice is very timely. Despite the tangible efforts of the Malian transition in implementing the political institutional reforms and those of elections commended by the international community, the Madam Minister of Foreign Affairs of the French Junta, uh, of whom Mali asked nothing, considered that there was no progress of forgetting that no one can love Mali more than the Malians themselves. Her particular position and her adversity does not surprise us. Victor Hugo in Claude Gau classed human beings in two categories. There are, he said, men which are like iron and then men which are um, ones who are attracted to them. The minister, unfortunately... And so, unfortunately, the minister is not a magnet and nor metal. Given this uncertainty, the Malian people adopted a prudent approach, and this is what the writer and wise person, Abidu Hadid highlights uh, with the strange destiny of Wagrin. If we see something is a good quality, we should remain quiet about it. So I think, uh, Madam Minister of the French Junta, Mali would advise you to just observe the situation. This is an opportunity for me to commend the exemplary and fruitful cooperation relations between Mali and Russia, whilst reaffirming that Mali remains open to all partners who want to help it recover from the multiple challenges affecting it in the strict respect for its sovereignty, unity, and the dignity of the Malian people. Mali would remind you that in line with the vision of Colonel Asimi Goita, President of the Transition, three principles guide our national public actions. Firstly, the respect for Mali's sovereignty. Secondly, the respect for strategic choices and partners operated by Mali. Thirdly, taking into consideration the vital interests of the Malian people in the decisions taken. Pursuant to these principles, Mali seeks to continue and strengthen its good neighbourly relations with all the countries that surround it by the same token committed to its pan african in uh, partnership, Mali will continue to work within sub-regional regional organizations to achieve African integration. Equally achieving the transition's objectives requires the assistance of all of Mali's partners, including the United Nations. Therefore, I would call upon Mali's friends to remain mobilized alongside the government in order to help it to meet these important challenges together. For the significant majority of the states of the world, convict- convinced rather of the importance of mutual respect and a win win partnership, I can guarantee to them that Mali's doors are wide open to them and the Malians will open will welcome them rather with open arms. For the minority who don't want to respect these principles, we will promise that they will face millions of goita who want to defend their honor, their dignity, and their vital interests. I would like to conclude by giving uh, two uh, pieces of advice. You should be empathetic by uh, uh, treat others as you would be treated and do unto others as you would have done unto you the second uh, piece of advice is look at your models look at how you need to change mindsets and look at how the world changes L- move on from the colonial past move on from look at the anger the frustration the rejection of this in african in towns and rural areas, and understand that this movement is inexorable thanks to uh, the situation, your intimidation, your subversive action, are just increasing the number of Africans who want to preserve their dignity. They they were just a, a few hundred previously and now there are millions of them and there will be billions of them in the future. Mali and its people will not just be mere spectators each uh, angry word is one that we will respond with equally and e- uh, each uh, bullet fired will be responded to reciprocally. So we are in a new era with a new reality. We need solutions that will bring change to meet the interdependent challenges. With, since we are independent states, we want to uphold human rights without distinction, or based on race, color, sex, language, religion, political opinion, or any other opinion, irrespective of what one's national or social origin is, what one owns, where one was born, or any other situation, as stipulated in Article 2 of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. May God bless Malian, preserve Malians, the obscurant and destructive forces of the world. May God bless Africa and preserve Africa from the obscurant and destructive forces of the world. May God bless the world and preserve the whole of humanity from the forces of obscurantism and the destructive forces of the world. Thank you very much indeed. At the assembly. On behalf of the Assembly, I wish to thank the Prime Minister ad interim of the Republic of Mali for the statement just made, and I request protocol to escort His Excellency.
1: Welcome back. And that was uh, the interim uh, Prime Minister of the Republic of Mali in West Africa, Abdullahi. Maiga uh, speaking uh, just uh, this week uh, before the United Nations General Assembly 77th session taking place right now in New York City. You're listening to the Pan-African Journal Worldwide Radio Broadcast. Today is Saturday, uh, September the 24th, uh, 2022. We're broadcasting live from our studios in downtown Detroit. We'd like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in to another edition of our program. Uh, Right now we want to move on with the United Nations addresses. This address uh, is from the Barbados Prime Minister Motley, uh, speaking before the United Nations General Assembly 77th session uh, in New York City. Let's listen to uh, the um, Prime Minister of uh, Barbados, uh, the Caribbean island nation of Barbados, which recently broke with uh, the British Commonwealth.
5: I request protocol to escort His Excellency. The Assembly will hear an address by Her Excellency Mia Mottley, Motley, Prime Minister, Minister for National Security and the Public Service and Minister for Finance, Economic Affairs and Investment of Barbados. I request protocol to escort Her Excellency. I have great pleasure in welcoming Her Excellency Mia Amor Motley, Prime Minister, Minister of National Security and the Public Service, and Minister for Finance, Economic Affairs and Investment of Barbados. I invite her to address the Assembly.
6: Thank you very much, Mr. President. I would like, first of all, to congratulate you on your election to this Honorable Assembly as its President. And as I do so, I want to, at the outset, thank the courageous leadership and commitment in very difficult times of our Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, and the Deputy Secretary General, Amina Mohammed. This year, we come again. And the battles continue, indeed, they've been enhanced. What we have seen over the course of the summer, and what we have seen over the course of this year. With the war in Ukraine and the concomitant consequences to ordinary people all over the globe with respect to inflation, with respect to scarcity of supply of goods, with respect simply to hardship, access to food continues regrettably to be the environment within which we live. I had hoped that we would have seen improvement. But I'm now convinced more than ever that there comes a time when we must heed a certain call, as was said when others before us, when I was a student, sought to fight the great famine in Africa and came together as one world to make that definable difference. Last year, I asked us to do the same. And maybe it is, in the words of Jimmy Cliff, that we have to keep trying and trying and trying but the world must stand up if our citizens are to live a better life. I say so today because it is easy to come only and complain but the truth is that it is within our power to be able to make that difference and that definable change. And we must decide whether we want to stand for peace and whether we want to stand for love And whether we want to stand for prosperity knowing that we choose to do so at the most difficult time and from the most difficult and deep place that we can do so in a very very long time I believe it is possible but it is up to us to change possibilities into realities and what do I mean Mr. President We have been speaking for a long time about the reform of this institution and about the recognition that there were only a quarter of the states that now exist when this institution was formed. Earlier this week, President Biden spoke of the need to reform the Security Council. We call an echo for that. But we go further. Because we believe that a Security Council that retains the power of veto in the hands of a few will still lead us to war as we have seen this year. And therefore the reform must not simply be in its composition, but also be in the removal of that veto. We also believe that the recognition of the G7 countries and the G20 countries as the informal subcommittee of governance of this world If it is to be fair, must recognize that no longer can we accept that persons call year after year after year for the inclusion of the people of Africa and African descent to be included in the G7 and G20. For how can a world have at its core a subcommittee that excludes more than 1.4, 1.5 billion people of the world and expect it to reflect fairness? And transparency in its decision-making. We ask that the determination be made by those countries who must understand that if we are to move from possibilities to realities we must embrace a transparent framework that allows our people who are losing faith in their institutions and in the governance of this world to understand that fairness means something that fairness means the ability for all to have a voice and that we can't only speak to it within the corridors of democracy within the nation state but it will only mean something when it also is reflected in our international community and if I perhaps have one simple theme today it is that that fairness and that togetherness is what is needed to bring about peace Love and prosperity in this world. And no, this is not romanticism. These are hard realities that simply require decisions. And that is why I use that language from that great anthem, We are the world. That there comes a time when we heed a certain call. When the world must come together as one. Yes, regrettably, there are too many people dying. In conflict as a result of the climate crisis. And the hand that we must lend to life comes in the decisions that we must make to reform and to fight for peace, not to fight to sustain war, wherever it is found across this world. To fight for reform, so that our citizens are not made victims of poverty because of the triple crisis of climate of pandemic and indeed now of the conflict that is leading to the inflationary pressures that leads regrettably to people taking circumstances into their own hands as we have seen in Haiti in the last week. Any attempt to increase fuel prices any part of the world by 150% would have been met with great consternation and anger by populations on fixed income. And when that happens in one of the poorest countries in the world that has been trying for almost 230 years to find stability and against the backdrop of exploitation that it has faced, we ask ourselves, to what end will the world stand up and be counted for the people of Haiti? Similarly. We ask for the same transparency to occur with respect to the removal of the blockade against the people of Cuba. This is the 30th year that the resolution has called for that removal of that blockade. But it has been there for 60 years. And I say simply to the people of the United States of America, do not be short-sighted in your goals. For in this hemisphere, peace and prosperity is the province of all. And yes, there may be problems on both sides, but there is nothing that justifies further hardship to people because of ideological differences. And if there are human rights differences, let us resolve them, as we have chosen to do with mightier countries across the world without the imposition of sanctions. Fairness and transparency demand of us. But I also want to talk to you about other solutions that we believe can alter our condition without imposing burdens of taxation, unreasonably so on the populations of the world. We live in a world, as I said last year, where the disparity in income is too great. And we live in a world where some are even benefiting from the crises disproportionately and egregiously and we must ask ourselves therefore whether the time has not come for a review of the settlement of the Bretton Woods institutions that no longer serve the purpose in the 21st century that they served in the 20th century that they served when they were catering to a quarter of the nation-states that are now members of this august institution we ask ourselves whether the time has not come for our voices to act collectively, to demand that through the boards of directors of the respective institutions. And why do I say so? The International Bank for Reconstruction and Development is really what the World Bank is. And maybe if we referred to that continuously, we would remind ourselves that the purpose of reconstruction and development must be appropriate to the century in which we live. And the century in which we live does not only demand of us the eradication of poverty, which remains a noble goal, but it demands of us equally the protection of global public goods. All of us in here have suffered as a result of the weakest of us being unable to rise to the occasion for the protection of public health. All of us in here now know what it is to be on the front line of the climate crisis. Years ago, we spoke about small island developing states on the front line because we were the canaries in the mine. Today, we speak of all countries. And this hot, hot summer, with wildfires from California, the heat waves in North America and Europe, the waterways in Europe being prohibited from the ability of vessels to t- traverse it, to floods in China, and above all else, the apocalyptic floods in Pakistan, for which our heart goes out to the people of that country. It simply cannot continue. And any attempt to deny that the climate crisis has man-made origins is an attempt to delude ourselves and to admit that we want to be accomplices in the continued death and loss and damage that ensues to the people who are the victims of it. Our people demand better of us. We believe today that the most appropriate place to deal with global public goods is in fact the World Bank Group. And I'll speak more to this tomorrow, but I want to simply say... That if companies, multinational companies, have contributed to the global public risk or benefit from the solutions for global public goods, then they ought to contribute to their resolution through a percentage, a small percentage of their profits funding the needs of countries, whether it is in the issue of climate stability and resilience, an adaptation, whether it is for the protection of biodiversity both on land and in our waters, whether it is for the protection of public health against the next pandemic, the slow-motion pandemic of antimicrobial resistance, or others that we have not even contemplated, or the provision of education for each of our citizens, because to remain on this earth without the benefit of education is to be sentenced to life imprisonment from a young age, or access to electricity as 600 million people in Africa do without it, or the equivalent to the right to knowledge and prosperity in our age, that is access to broadband. And of course, as I said to Congress last week, believe it or not, the right to a bank account because countries across the world are being denied the right to access correspondent banking and leaving their citizens and their economies to function as financial pariahs in a world that is supposed to be globally interdependent for the movement of capital. My friends, the provision of that fund to promote public goods at a global level is critical if we are to make a difference going forward and to achieve the peace, the love and the prosperity to which I referred. I want to commend the International Monetary Fund for their rapid financing mechanism at the beginning of the pandemic crisis and soon for the resilience and sustainability trust that is about to be launched that is the first recognition that middle-income countries should be able to access funding irrespective of per capita income but dependent on climate vulnerability. And we say that for those who commend it to the International Bank for Reconstruction and Development, do not simply commend it for countries following a disaster, but let us do it for countries before the disaster. For every dollar spent, as they have researched, saves seven dollars in avoided expenditure, not to mention the lives that are saved. We don't want only to pay the undertaker, we want to save lives. But I ask the IMF to reflect on the fact that that resilience and sustainability trust may need to be delinked from quotas if it is to be effective. I am conscious that that will depend on more countries seeding that fund with capital and more countries agreeing perhaps to allow their special drawing rights to be used there Just as we ask them to allow those special drawing rights to be used, to allow multilateral development banks to significantly increase the money that is available to countries, particularly at this time as we are on the verge of a debt crisis, where more than 45 countries are facing the heat of the moment because of the increased cost of capital as a result of the monetary policies that are being put in place to fight the virulent cancer of inflation. I say now that we want to thank those countries that have come together to help us continue for the financing of sustainable development goals. And we link those goals to the global public goods. Why? Because they're fundamentally the right to development. They're fundamentally the right to give each person the ability to live a good life. And we can't be lost in the conflict and lost in the climate crisis and lost in the pandemic and forget fundamentally what our mission is. I commend those who continue to remember that. But I ask for us to reach a global compact that financing for development cannot be short-term financing and that it needs to be at least 30-year money. The world recognized that when it allowed Britain to be able to participate in the refinancing of its World War bonds, which were only paid off eight years ago, 100 years after World War I started. Or when it allowed Germany to cap its debt service at the equivalent of 5% of its exports, conscious that the cataclysmic experience of war would not have allowed them to finance reconstruction while repaying debts incurred for war. My friends, we are no different today. We have incurred debts for COVID. We have incurred debts for climate. And we have incurred debts now in order to fight this difficult moment with the inflationary crisis and with the absence of certainty of supply of goods. Why, therefore, must the developing world now seek to find money within 7 to 10 years, when others had the benefit of longer tenors to repay their money. I want, finally, to deal with the issue very quickly and to suggest to you that all of these things have been the subject not just of idle thought or arbitrary comment on our part. We had the good fortune of collecting in Barbados A large number of persons from civil society and academia at the beginning of August, end of July. And we settled on what we have come to call the Bridgetown Agenda. Because we believe it to be a Bridgetown Agenda for peace. A Bridgetown Agenda for prosperity. A Bridgetown Agenda inspired by love of humanity. And it is that agenda that speaks to the reform of the Bretton Woods architecture. We've asked and will ask countries and people to join it. Because we believe that unless we take responsibility for ourselves, unless we accept that we are the world, we're not going to see a change. And as I come to simply this issue of climate, which will dominate us over the next 45, 48 days as we go to Egypt, Let us remember that the trust that is needed to propel us to fight the great causes of our time will not be won by us breaching promises. The developing world, and in particular the small island developing states, came to Paris and agreed for a global compact. One of the key aspects of it that allowed us to do so was the promise of loss and damage. Today... The people of Guadeloupe and Puerto Rico, yesterday Turks and Caicos, and little do we know what will happen with Bermuda face the difficulty of disruption by Hurricane Fiona. Today, this morning, I received news about difficulties for our own natural gas supply in my own country and I suspect others in this part of the world because of the facilities the installations that have been affected out of Puerto Rico for access to natural gas. This comes at a time when access to that commodity has already been affected by the war in Ukraine and the decision by Russia to cease supply to Europe. When we match this with the reality that we have not planned in granular form, how we will have the capacity to meet the commitments that we have made for net zero, and I'm a big defender of net zero, as you know, then I see trouble ahead of us, and we must pause and get it right. Our small states are making commitments that the world wants to hear. But when those commitments are undermined by the inability to supply the electric cars, or the batteries necessary to sustain renewable energy, then we know we have a problem. And that is why natural gas has been viewed as a bridge to clean energy. But when the access to natural gas itself is also affected, you better understand why emerging market countries in the Caribbean and in Africa, in the Caribbean including my own, have determined that we cannot abandon access to our own natural gas resources until we are assured that we have the capacity to sustain our populations. This is where the rubber meets the ground. And I ask us today to recognize that those commitments on loss and damage and that granular detail that matches commitment to capacity are absolutely critical if we are to make serious progress in saving our world. And we know that our world needs to be saved. My friends, I want to salute Denmark for its commitment on Tuesday to be able to propose $13 million to a loss and damage fund, for it represents the first acknowledgement by a North Atlantic country that there is a justifiable need and justice in the demand for this loss and damage claim. And I ask us to recommit ourselves in the big matters but recognize that if we don't speak truth to our population and if we don't explain and have the mature conversations rather than to rely on the headlines and the bites, we will find a disc disconnect between those who are governed and those who are governing and therefore let us to the task move with dispatch not for songbites but for difficult conversations to secure the peace of this world to secure the prosperity of our people and to underpin it with a love for humanity which is what the original purpose of this organization was formed to do And in the words of that song again, let us lend a hand to life, for it is the greatest gift of all. And we can't pretend day by day that someone somewhere else is going to make that change. This is our family. This is our world. And this is our time to make that defining difference. And many of the things that I've put before us today don't require money. But they require a commitment, and they require political will. And with the power of the pen, we can impose natural disaster and pandemic clauses in our debt. With the power of the pen, we can change the capital that is available to multilateral development banks that will remove the barriers that currently exist for us to fight poverty. With those commitments, we can make A difference in today's world and let us do so recognizing that a world that reflects an imperialistic order and hypocrisy and lack of transparency will not achieve that mission but one that gives us freedom transparency and a level playing field will make that definable difference thank you very much
5: On behalf of the Assembly, I wish to thank the Prime Minister, Minister for National Security and the Public Service, and Minister for Finance, Economic Affairs, and Investment of Barbados for the statement just made, and I request protocol to escort Her Excellency. We have heard the last speaker for this meeting. The ninth plenary meeting to continue with the general debate will begin at 3 p.m., the meeting is adjourned. Thank
3: you. you break
1: <laughs> Welcome back. And that was uh, the Prime Minister of uh, the Caribbean island nation of Barbados, Mia Amor Motley, uh, raising a number of issues in regard uh, to the challenges of developing countries uh, in regard to climate change, uh, the transition to renewable energies and also the need uh, for peace and security on a global scale. We'll take a break. We'll be back uh, with more of the United Nations General Assembly 77th Session. We'll be back.
2: News. <laughs> wow, this old Viana is coming my way. When it's around, i never have a happy day. He gives me back up by rubbing his ring. See that? I just broke a guitar string. Wow. door, now my house is burning down, crackle, crackle,
4: Look wow. all they
3: know,
1: Jimi Hendrix uh, with the tune entitled Look Over Yonder. Uh, right now we'll return uh, to the United Nations General Assembly 77th session. We'll hear uh, the address by South African Foreign Minister Dr. Naledi uh, Pandor, uh, speaking on a number of issues uh, relevant to Africa and the international community.
7: I now give the floor to Her Excellency Naledi Pandora. Minister for Foreign for International Relations and Cooperation of South Africa,
8: Mr. President of the General Assembly, Your Excellency, Mr. Kudosi, Secretary General Antonio Guterres, Excellencies, Ladies and Gentlemen, Mr. President, allow me to join all speakers before me in congratulating you on your election as President of the General Assembly and to wish you well in your role. I also thank the previous President of the General Assembly for his excellent leadership. And of course, thank Secretary General Guterres, as well as the Deputy Secretary General, for their ongoing leadership of our multilateral organization. Mr. President, we meet at a time when the UN family is facing its greatest test. Member States have to work with the United Nations to develop effective responses to the current challenges. As the theme of the General Assembly indicates, these challenges are diverse, immense, yet interconnected, and no country can respond alone. Some have referred to this moment as a key turning point in history. The COVID-19 pandemic and the Russia-Ukraine war strongly influence these attitudes today. However, for South Africa, the real inflection point will be a world attending fully to the needs of the marginalized and the forgotten. Our greatest global challenges are poverty, inequality, joblessness, and a feeling of being entirely ignored and excluded. Acting on the Common Agenda Vision 2021 of the UN Secretary-General should become the major objective of this time, because addressing poverty and underdevelopment will, in our view, be the beginnings of the real inflection point in human history. The Charter of the United Nations... The Universal Declaration for Human Rights and its human rights protocols all commit us to protecting all people without distinction of any kind. We must acknowledge that we face these crises today because we have not always upheld these foundational principles consistently and fairly. We believe international law matters when this one is affected, but doesn't matter when this other one is affected. That does not help to uphold international law. We have learned a great deal from the COVID-19 pandemic. It has provided us with a roadmap on what we should do as a global community and what we should not do to address global challenges. We need to use the lex- lessons from the pandemic effectively. There were some noble initiatives, such as the Access to COVID-19 Tools Accelerator, which was co-chaired by President Ramaphosa of South Africa, the African Union champion for COVID-19 response, as well as the Prime Minister of Norway. This Act A initiative laid the basis for a fairer distribution of vaccines, therapeutics, and diagnostics. We would like today to thank all the countries that have acted on their financial commitments to the COVID-19 tools accelerator. Mr. President, global solidarity is also required to meet other pressing challenges such as energy and food insecurity, climate change and the devastation caused by conflicts, including the existential threat of nuclear weapons. Up to now, instead of working collectively to address these challenges, we have grown further apart as geopolitical tensions and mistrust permeate our relations. We should, however, move forward in solidarity united in efforts to address our common global challenges to ensure sustainable peace and development. One of the tasks, Mr. President, that we must successfully implement is to ensure that developing countries are not left behind when treatments are available. We must do this by creating and supporting research and innovation capacity in Africa and other parts of the world for vaccine production by investing in strengthened public health systems and by ensuring that we produce thousands more qualified professional health workers. All this requires sustainable investment in higher education research institutions and in global research cooperation. The mobilisation of resources and capabilities to strengthen the pandemic response and the preparedness of all nations must be substantially increased. It will be a tragic indictment on all of us as leaders if future pandemics find the poorest countries as unprepared as many were for COVID-19. We need to strengthen global health architecture to ensure that we are better able to meet the challenges of new pandemics and other infectious diseases of concern. We are proud as South Africa to be part of the solutions to these problems through the recent establishment of the first mRNA global technology transfer hubs that will contribute to the security of supply of life-saving medication for African countries and other developing countries. Mr. President, my country, South Africa, like many other developing countries, faces huge development challenges, including in our energy sector. We need to together collectively address global energy shortages, including by deploying innovative solutions that are cheaper, cleaner, and more accessible. Working with international partners, South Africa is developing its Just Energy Transition Plan to significantly reduce harmful emissions in our country. We are working on an expanded green economy intervention that is gaining significant momentum in our country. I would like, Mr. President, to commend the Secretary General For focusing attention during this General Assembly on transforming education. Education remains one of the most important drivers to end poverty and inequality and we will work toward increasing access to education that is affordable as a country and a continent. South Africa has no-fee schools at primary and secondary level to allow the most vulnerable learners to access compulsory education. We also have a state bursary scheme for poor students who qualify for tertiary education. These measures have over the years served to increase the enrolment of learners who were previously unable to access education. In the field of research and innovation, we believe we need more partnerships, such as the Square Kilometre Array Science Infrastructure Project, hosted in South Africa and Australia. This is an international partnership that is one of the largest joint scientific endeavours in history. Partnerships of this nature must be encouraged to leverage scientific breakthroughs for development purposes. We also believe the multilateral trading system must be strengthened so that we genuinely create a conducive environment for fair trade and one that also provides opportunities for developing economies. If actionable steps such as these are not taken, developing countries will remain subject to an imbalanced global financial and trading system. Let us, Mr. President, use this moment of renewal to reiterate our commitment to multilateralism as the only means of building a better world. The United Nations must, of course itself, be transformed so that it serves its role cognizant of current global dynamics. It is unacceptable that 77 years after its establishment, Five nations wield disproportionate decision-making power in the United Nations system as a whole. Transformation of the UN must include more representative, transparent, and accountable organs of global governance. For this body to be effective, the General Assembly must be revitalized, the Security Council must be reformed. We also cannot have a credible organisation, if it cannot hold persistent transgressors of the Charter to account. Mr. President, we believe we must act immediately to protect the environment and the world we live in, for ourselves and for future generations. While Africa is the least responsible for the climate crisis, it does find itself at the epicentre of its worst impact. We should, therefore, emerge from COP 27 in Egypt with an agreement that contains enhanced and balanced actions on adaptation, mitigation, and financing. This, of course, must take into account our common but differentiated responsibilities and our respective capabilities. In addition, we must agree at COP 27 on a mechanism for loss and change. In South Africa, our Cabinet has approved wide-ranging policies to ensure that we can meet our newly determined climate change targets. We have established a climate finance task team to lead and coordinate negotiations with international partner groups to give effect to the Just Energy Transition Partnership. The partnership seeks to address South Africa's investment needs in infrastructure to facilitate our coal phase down in a manner that ensures that no one is left behind. Mr. President, I don't need to reiterate that building a better world requires peace and stability. South Africa continues to believe that conflict resolution must not come through fueling conflict but through investing in efforts aimed at political dialogue. We should aspire to peace as a global public good. There have been no winners of the wars of the past seven decades. Instead, they engendered strife, distrust among nations, divisions, as we see this week, a perpetual misallocation of resources to weapons, increased poverty, And underdevelopment. All these are features and effects of war. While we work to address contemporary conflicts, we should not ignore long-standing conflicts such as that of the people of Palestine which has been on the United Nations agenda throughout the seven decades of existence of this organization. We cannot ignore the words of the former Israeli negotiator at the Oslo talks, Daniel Levy, who addressed the UN Security Council recently and referred to the increasingly weighty body of scholarly, legal and public opinion that has designated Israel to be perpetrating apartheid in the territories under its control. Israel must be held accountable for its destructive actions that have significantly impaired the possibility of a two-state solution. Similarly, we cannot ignore the decades-long struggle for self-determination of the people of Western Sahara. We must, Mr. President, treat all conflicts across the globe with equal indignation, no matter what the colour or creed of the people affected is. South Africa calls for an end to the embargo against Cuba, which continues to impede the right to development of her people. In the same vein, we call for an end to unilateral coercive measures against Zimbabwe, which have compounded the problems experienced by the people of Zimbabwe and have a detrimental effect on the broader Southern African region. Mr. President, our quest to build a better world will remain unfulfilled as long as people are still discriminated against on the basis of race, gender, sex, ethnic, social origin, colour, sexual orientation, age, disability, religion, conscience, belief, culture or language. We have a responsibility to make sure that every girl child receives an education and that every woman has an opportunity to work, to study, to begin a business, and to have choice and control over her life and body. We must also ensure that more women speak at the United Nations General Assembly. We need to end the violence perpetrated against the most vulnerable, most often women and children. We have witnessed that women in conflict situations are particularly vulnerable, including women journalists. The murder of Shireen Abu Akleh and other journalists is a stark reminder of the danger that women in conflict situations face. We must do all we can to protect them and exert all effort to hold those accountable for harming them. We must also strengthen the capacity and draw on the voices of the youth on the African continent. In this regard, we need to harness the demographic dividend by maximizing our investment in quality education as a means to address intergenerational poverty, together with inclusive economies. Mr. President, Africa is home to more than 1.3 billion people. It is fast emerging from centuries of colonialism occupation and exploitation from willful neglect and underdevelopment. We now have an African continental free trade area agreement and the countries of Africa are laying a firm foundation for a new era of trade, commerce and productivity. Our countries are establishing the conditions for the seamless flow of goods and services between African markets, for the growth of industry and for the construction of roads, bridges, railway lines, ports and power stations that will support growth. As we continue our efforts to end war, conflict and insurgency in several parts of our continent and to prevent the unconstitutional seizure of power, we will continue to see greater alignment between our agenda and that of the United Nations and our body, the African Union. To overcome all these acutely global challenges, we must agree to a common path out of an increasingly polarized world. A rules-based international system predicated on international law and strict adherence to the provisions of the UN Charter is essential. Such a system should safeguard the interests of all and not only the powerful countries. We acknowledge the efforts of Secretary-General Guterres in his vision, our common agenda, which we support very, very strongly. We believe he has provided us with options to put aside our differences, to build trust, and to forge a world where future generations will prosper and thrive. That should be the mandate we adopt and not the mandate of division and conflict. I wish you well, Mr. President, and I thank you for this opportunity.
7: I thank the Minister for International Relations and Cooperation.
1: That was uh, Dr. Nalidi Pandora, uh, who is uh, the South African Minister uh, for International relations and cooperation, and of course, uh, that was at uh, this week's uh, United Nations General Assembly, 77th session, our annual meeting of uh, heads of state, uh, ministers, uh, governmental officials, uh, to discuss and debate uh, the international situation uh, in that particular year. You're listening to uh, the Pan African Journal, a worldwide radio broadcast. Uh, I'm your host. Abayomi Zikaway. Today is Saturday, uh, September the 24th, 2022. We're broadcasting live from our studios in downtown Detroit. And uh, right now we want to move into excerpts uh, from uh, the address delivered uh, by Republic of Kenya uh, President William Ruto, newly elected uh, and inaugurated uh, president of the largest uh, economy in East Africa, the Republic of Kenya. Let's listen to Kenyan President William Ruto uh, speaking at the United Nations General Assembly in New York City
7: is in New York and is addressing the UN General Assembly as at this moment let's cross over live to New York Excellencies, Distinguished Delegates I am grateful for the immense privilege to join your excellencies in this distinguished assembly a privilege made possible by peaceful democratic transition following free and fair elections in Kenya on the 9th of August 2022. Elections that not only stand as testimony of the universal power of democracy, but also of the manifestability of African peoples. To invest in stronger nations and a secure future, robust institutions effective constitutions, and the impartial administration of the rule of law guarantees the achievement of shared aspirations. This 77th session of the UN General Assembly comes at a unique moment when the entire world is struggling with multiple grave challenges that include regional conflicts, the COVID-19 pandemic, the triple planetary crisis, food insecurity, and the rising cost of living. I take this opportunity to congratulate you, Mr. President, on your election to preside over this session and to express my confidence that your wealth of experience offers us significant assurance of your good leadership. Your motto, Solutions Through Solidarity, Sustainability, and Science, succinctly captures with particular resonance the urgent imperatives of our time. I assure you of Kenya's firm support and cooperation during your tenure. I further take this opportunity to commend your predecessor, His Excellency Abdullah Shahid, for his bold steps in steering the United Nations community and for ensuring its business continuity under the unprecedented circumstances occasioned by multiple global threats such as the COVID-19 pandemic. Excellencies, human well-being is under grave threat. The health of the planet requires urgent attention. The immense pressure exerted by conventional threats such as climate change, the global food crisis, terrorism, cybercrime, and armed conflict has been compounded by unprecedented devastating disruptions due to COVID-19. I express my approval of the theme for this session, a watershed moment, transformative solutions to interlocking challenges. Because of its boldly signals, because it boldly signals the window of opportunity we now have to escalate our engagement from firm consensus to decisive action. In many respects, the COVID-19 pandemic stripped us of many illusions and exposed stark justice and solidarity deficits in the face of existential crisis. It brought into sharp focus the global economy's two-lane highway, repressively patrolled by a rising tide of exclusionist nationalism, a specter that undermines prospects of collective action and significantly impairs the resolve of the international community to guarantee fundamental rights including safety and dignity of the world's vulnerable majority. It is also for this reason that many nations, especially from the Global South, now advocate for the democratization of the global governance and a reimagined multilateralism that is inclusive and works for the good of all. Kenya stands ready to work with other nations to achieve the pan-Africanization the pan- of multilateralism and a more just and inclusive system of global governance. It is important to reflect on these matters as we do our best to get our people, enterprises, and industries back on their feet so that the engine of development can power our societies towards prosperity that actually leaves no one behind. Building back better is the universal rallying call to incorporate lessons learned into doing more in a better way to cover to recover from the shock. I suggest that we have a golden opportunity to faithfully appear to this motto by augmenting it inward and indeed with an additional B – Building Back Better from the Bottom. Building back better from the bottom upwards is essentially about including the marginalized working maturity in the economic mainstream. The bottom millions relentlessly wage their daily battle for survival in a crowded arena characterized by scarcity of opportunity and generally precarious existence. The ingenuity, optimism, resilience and energy in this ever bustling bottom is sometimes called hustling. Invisibly to policymakers and beyond the reach of many public services, These hustlers take nothing for granted, surviving overwhelming odds and frequently succeeding greatly. In the words of Abraham Lincoln, things may come to those who wait, but only things left behind by those who hustle. It is time to bolster the resilience of our nations, to mainstream these millions through deliberate strategies and efforts. For economic inclusion by building back better from the bottom up. The interlocking challenges of conflicts, triple planetary crisis, and the global food crisis have impeded our momentum and obstructed our focus on achieving fundamental transformations towards sustainable development. In the Horn of Africa region, severe drought and disruption of supply chains Due to the COVID-19 pandemic, as well as the Russia-Ukraine conflict, have left us food insecure and consequently we have been constrained to repurpose our strategies to prioritize drought and famine relief, insulating education and disruption from disruption and improving social protection and healthcare systems to secure the well-being of our people. Many countries now bear witness to the unsettling phenomena of rivers, canals and water reservoirs that are drying up on account of drought and heat waves occasioned by climate change. Kenya is no exception. The northern arid and semi-arid rangelands of our country have been gravely impacted by drought, whose severity has not been seen or experienced in 40 years. million residents of these assals are now severely food insecure on account of scarce rainfall over three consecutive seasons, leading to poor crop and pasture. This unprecedented confluence of intensely adverse events has exacerbated water scarcity and starvation, worsened by rising food prices, thus complicating Kenya's roadmap towards delivering good quality of life to our citizens and hindering the progress to achieving SDG number six and SDG number two. Severe drought has affected not only the Horn of Africa and the Sahel regions, but continues to devastate many others, including Asia, Europe, and the Americas. If for no other reason, the fact that we all are in this together must strengthen the case for concerted efforts across continents. With this in mind, I call on member states and all relevant stakeholders to demonstrate strong political will and showcase effective cooperation by supporting the most affected countries financially, as well as through sharing land restoration and climate change adaptation technologies. It is through collaboration to expand inclusion that we can attain a new paradigm in multilateralism. The latest report of the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change reminds us that we cannot afford to waste another moment debating the merit of doing something vis-à-vis doing nothing. It will soon be too late to reverse the course of events, and then even the best possible interventions will not survive as leaders, every day is an opportunity to expedite our efforts to confront the triple planetary crisis. It will be recalled that during the Stockholm Plan 50 meeting, which Kenya had the honor of co-hosting with Sweden, there was consensus from states on the need to act urgently in addressing environmental impacts. Given this agreement, It is deeply concerning that little progress has been made in respect of the needful actions. It is time to collectively contemplate urgent measures needed to implement high-priority actions required to contain ongoing disruptions as we deliberate on long-term implementation approaches to be undertaken. I fully agree with the Secretary General's memorable statement that and I quote, we have a rendezvous with a climate disaster, end of quote. I add that we must not be taken by surprise. If indeed forewarned is forearmed, this is our opportunity to mobilize with tremendous urgency and take action at once. Excellencies, the agricultural sector has an important part to play in reducing the severity of climate change. A number of practices have a bearing, positive or negative, on various dimensions of the environment. Investing in modern agricultural technology is therefore one important avenue towards tackling prevailing environmental changes. Kenya is, res- is responding through substantial investment in climate-resilient agriculture. At the core of our 10-year strategy for agricultural sector growth and transformation are nine flagships. They include the registration of farmers to direct incentives, improving farmer practice through customized extension services, monitoring of emergency food reserve stocks using digital food balance sheet and the use of early warning systems to monitor food supplies and market prices. Agriculture remains the bedrock of the development of many nations and will thus continue to hold the key to the creation of equitable and sustainable growth for our people. No country, large or small, has ever attained significant growth without modernizing its agricultural sector. And as we rededicate ourselves to these targets, we must in the immediate term find answers to the severe deficit in the availability, flow, and accessibility of fertilizer to our farmers worldwide. I couldn't agree more with Secretary-General Guterres on his warning right here yesterday that, and I quote, without action now, the global fertilizer shortage will quickly move into a global food shortage end of quote. We are encouraged to note that education, health, agriculture, and numerous other public services have become increasingly reliant on digital access. The world needs greater investment in the development of ICT infrastructure, accompanied with policies that support innovation and increased acquisition and deployment of technology. In so doing, we should be driven by the conviction that these measures offer a viable shortcut to poverty reduction and the promotion of inclusive development. I call for stronger global partnerships to enhance ICT infrastructure in developing countries and bridge the yawning digital divide between the global south and the rest of the world. Excellencies. This 77th session of the Assembly follows the commemoration of the 50th anniversary of the United Nations Environmental Program, UNEP, at 50, as well as Stockholm plus 50, and the fourth United Nations Ocean Conference in Lisbon. Outcomes of these conferences demanded real commitment to address global environmental concerns as a matter of urgency and for a just transition to sustainable economies that work for all people. The March 2022 landmark resolution of the fifth United Nations Environmental Assembly in Nairobi to end plastic pollution is a decisive signal to the world that the world is prepared and motivated to act on this menace. Kenya is committed to work closely with other nations to pursue legally binding instruments aimed at bringing an end to plastic pollution. As the host nation to UNEP and the UN Habitat, Kenya affirms that these critical United Nations agencies have an indispensable role in the promotion of environmental sustainability globally, as well as developing socially and environmentally sound and sustainable cities. In keeping with its strong commitment, to multilateral institutions, Kenya has made available more land for the United Nations office in Nairobi to facilitate the upgrading of its complex. I take this opportunity to call on Member States to complement this contribution from through enhanced financing to adequately modernise the Union facilities in Nairobi. Kenya remains a strong advocate for making the sustainable use of oceans and blue economy resources a development priority, holding the firm belief that significantly increased investment in this essential sector can end hunger, can also reduce poverty, create jobs, and spur economic growth. I urge the Secretary-General to continue calling attention to the urgent need to develop this vital sector. In particular, I call on developed countries to invest in sustainable fishing, protect marine ecosystems, and share ocean-based climate solutions with developing countries. For our part, I am pleased to report that building on the historic 2018 Sustainable Blue Economy Conference in Nairobi, Kenya is reviewing its national Blue Economy Strategy to strengthen community structures in participatory management of freshwater, coastal and marine resources, and ecosystems. The strategy is expected to contribute to our economic development through food and nutrition security, coastal and rural development, and income increases along the aquaculture value chain. It also enhances maritime transport and tourism. We invite development partnerships to invest in Africa towards building capacity to sustainably utilize marine resources. We must rally together to make the best use of Africa's vast blue resources in developing our economies while meeting our climate targets. As we look forward to the 27th Conference of Parties to the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, COP 27, scheduled for Sharm el-Sheikh in Egypt, it is logical to expect that Member States will shift their attention towards the development and implementation of frameworks for climate change mitigation. Accomplishment of pending actions by Member States is essential for the implementation work that lies ahead. I therefore call upon all of us to urgently deliver on all commitments made towards climate change financing. On this matter, it is critical to emphasize that we are running out of time. Over the past decade, Kenya has sustained its aggressive pursuit for rapid socioeconomic transformation through three principal roadmaps. First is the Kenyan National Vision 2030. Second, the formal long-term blueprint aimed at transforming Kenya into a newly industrialized upper-middle-income country providing high quality of life to its citizens in a clean and secure environment by 2030. The second has been the Africa Union's Agenda 2063. And the third, the Sustainable Development Goals. Kenya looks towards tapping into a variety of resources to catalyze the achievement of these interlocking and mutually reinforcing objectives. The disruption and ensuing crisis due to COVID-19 pandemic compelled us to diversify our focus into new interventions, including economic stimulus programs a COVID-19 economic recovery strategy and a COVID-19 socio-economic re-engineering recovery strategy, all aimed at mitigating the adverse impacts of the pandemic. I confirm that we have done the best of everything we could in the circumstances. Nevertheless, it is not enough. Kenya and the rest of Africa, like other developing nations, are in need of greater international partnership and cooperation to avert economic crisis in the wake of the pandemic. Developing countries being heavily burdened by external debt servicing, run the risk of losing development gains due to the shocks inflicted by the pandemic and associated disruptions. I call upon global financial institutions and the international community to take urgent measures and release all existing financial instruments to provide much needed additional liquidity and secure better fiscal space for developing countries like Kenya, to enhance social investment, support climate change adaptation and mitigation, and address security needs, and resolve development financing challenges. On behalf of Kenya, therefore, I join other leaders in calling upon the World Bank, the International Monetary Fund, and other multilateral lenders to extend pandemic-related debt relief to the worst-hit countries, especially those affected by the devastating combination of conflict, climate change, and COVID-19. Furthermore, I urge the G20 to extend and expand the scope of the common framework to suspend or reschedule debt repayments by middle-income countries during the pandemic recovery period. At this point, I would like this distinguished Assembly to take a moment and consider the peace and security landscape, a landscape currently beset with multiple challenges yet abounding with considerable opportunities. Our home region of East and the Horn of Africa is in particular burdened by significant conflicts and challenges with implications for the region's development. We stand on the cusp of first opportunity for galvanizing confidence building measures to generate and sustain momentum towards sustainable peace. In its role as an anchor state in the region, Kenya has sustained our investment in diplomatic efforts to find lasting peace in multiple situations within and beyond the region. Although some processes have yielded undeniable success, challenges remain. I therefore strongly reiterate our call for partnership towards confident building measures and urge more concerted efforts towards sustainable peace and stability. Kenya is currently serving in the United Nations Security Council. I am proud to confirm that our engagement over the last two years has prioritized regional peace and security, countering terrorism and violent extremism, peace, support operations, climate and security as critical contributions to the collective efforts to build a safer, more prosperous and peaceful world. I am also proud to state that Kenya has continued to champion closer cooperation between regional mechanisms and the Security Council as an effective means to achieving international peace and security. Kenya continues to advocate the renewal of the Africa Union security architecture which draws comparative strength from the highly productive complementarity between the United Nations, the Africa Union, and the regional economic communities. Working closely with the two elected African countries of the A3 in the UN Security Council, we are committed to finding a stronger Africa voice in the Council and achieving a consensus-driven rules-based multilateral system. It is our manifest intention to see greater pan-Africanization of the global agenda in order to make multilateralism work for the people of the world in their diversity. It is time for multilateralism to reflect the voice of farmers, represent the hopes of villagers, champion the aspirations of pastoralists, defend the rights of fisherfolk, express the dreams of traders, respect the wishes of workers, and indeed, protect the welfare of all peoples of the Global South. Let me express the strong collective conviction of my country that the relevance, legitimacy, and moral authority of the United Nations will forever remain deficient, undermined by the absence of comprehensive reforms of the United Nations Security Council. We therefore remain firmly committed to reforming the Security Council to make it a more effective, representative, and democratic global institution. Given the magnitude and variety of challenges the world continues to confront, a more for purpose United Nations is urgently needed, one that possesses the legitimacy and efficacy in dealing with threats to international peace, and security. A just and inclusive world order cannot be spearheaded by a United Nations Security Council that persistently and unjustly fails the inclusivity criteria. Similarly, threats to democracy will not be credibly resolved by an undemocratic, unrepresentative Security Council. It is vitally important for this critical institution to reflect the values it is entrusted to protect, to defend, to uphold on behalf of humankind. We welcome the call by President Biden this morning for the expansion of the membership of the Security Council as a significant step in the right direction and we look forward to building consensus for the actualization of the same. The COVID-19 pandemic severely disrupted health systems, seriously challenging the implementation of programs that are vital for the realization.
1: Welcome back and uh, that was uh the President of the Republic of Kenya, uh William Ruto, uh speaking before the United Nations General Assembly 77th session, uh that is continuing. Uh, in New York City uh, this week and as well as next week. And uh, during this program, we've heard uh, addresses uh, to the United Nations General Assembly 77th session from the Interim Prime Minister of the Republic of Mali, Abdullahi Mahega, also uh, from Barbados uh, Prime Minister uh, Mia Amor Motley. We also heard uh, from South African Foreign Minister Dr. Naledi Pandora, And we just heard uh, from President uh, William Ruto, the recently elected president of uh, the Republic of Kenya. We'll have more addresses uh, from uh, the United Nations uh, General Assembly in the uh, following programs uh, here at the Pan-African Journal. We're going to be winding down our program uh, for today. If you are interested uh, in having access to this program, just go to our website at the Pan-African Journal, Worldwide Radio Broadcast. That's at uh, blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. If you'd like to read the Pan-African Newswire so you can stay abreast of some of the most pressing and burning issues of the day, just go to our website at blogtalkradio. Just go to our website at panafricannews.blogspot.com. That's panafricannews.blogspot.com. We'll be closing out with the music of uh, the legendary John Coltrane Quartet, with the album entitled Africa Brass, this is Abayomi Azikawe signing off and have a beautiful week.